fact, this woman, the Phoenix, leads a bold, dedicated, well-financed organization. They are determined to rise from the ashes of the Third Reich, like the mythical Phoenix, to lead the Fourth Reich here in America. I have evidence that Hitler had a daughter. Yeah, so this is Trash Cannon, the show that uh, has a different guest every episode. I almost said every week, but oh god, (laughs) I can't do this every week. Um, (laughs) And we talk about a different movie. Uh, Usually, it's supposed to be a different famous B-movie, a well-known one, at least among uh, B-movie aficionados, but I'm really, really cheating and breaking the <laughs> premise of my own show with this one because i don't think anybody has really heard of this movie except maybe me and five other people <laughs> i mean i had heard of it because someone i think probably on twitter said hey have you ever seen hitler's daughter before and uh and e- they had not seen it but it was specifically because of the title that, that they were interested in it at all. So I was like, okay, I'm going to track it down and pick it up and, and uh, eventually watch it. So I appreciate you pushing me to watch it. I'm not sure if it necessarily uh, lives up to the title, but, I mean, that's the thing about being a fan of trashy movies. Often they don't. Yeah, exactly. Well, and this is um, – this. Uh, my guest this time is Doug Tilley, who is from the – no Budget Nightmares podcast, a podcast that actually sticks to its own premise, unlike me. Because <laughs> um, I, I should also admit that actually my plan for this show was um, after maybe the first two guests, I would get get on people that uh, don't really aren't really part of the B movie cult movie scene, and like try to get them to talk about famous B movies that they watched. But um, that so far hasn't really happened. I think I've only had um, two guests, and there were two guests just for one episode, David and Desiree, um, who really aren't part of the scene. But so far, they've been my only guests who... Um, it's a either. it's a difficult premise if you're if you're <laughs> a big fan of of trashy cinema or B movies or low budget uh, exploitation type cinema because. If you go for people who are not as deeply entrenched in the fandom, then you're probably going to hit, you know, kind of big names in terms of B-movies. But those mm-hmm. are also the kind of movies that have been talked to death. And one of the things I've liked about your show, of what I've listened to so far, is that you're not necessarily going for the easy targets. That you got your crazy fat Ethel and you got your truth or dare or critical madness. Movies that do have a fandom uh, around them, or at least are uh, there's a lot of people aware of them within this community. But there's also, you know, inter- it, this this isn't Troll Two or The Room. These are movies that that can stand to be looked at in a little more detail. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And that that's kind of the fun of it. So so I've had to readjust my expectations. Oh well, I also had um, uh, Zaki Hassan, who's more of a um, general pop culture guy than a B movie guy, mm. uh, who I talked about with about. Um, Street Fighter, and I'm in currently in negotiations to, um, I don't know, they've been ongoing in negotiations spanning months to get <laughs> to people who aren't part of the scene on the show. Um, so we'll see where where that takes us. But it's a lot like negotiating with a terrorist, and I'm the terrorist. So <laughs> <laughs> one of the things I always found when um, 
before I should ask, am I allowed to swear on the show? Yeah, oh yeah, 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 definitely. So when we were doing Eric Roberts is the fucking man, uh, I I made an effort to outreach to people who were not uh, necessarily experienced with podcasting, and that led to a lot of great conversations. I was really happy I did that. But uh, sometimes you would be looking for more recognizable names, and you realize that uh, the sort of flexibility that maybe you and I might have in regards to when recording time might happen, uh, it doesn't exist for everybody. I, I remember like, like hitting back and forth on emails and DMs for months and months and months for people who were like, excited to do the show, but it would like, fall through at the last second every single time. Oh. Well, thankfully, through the miracle of our current economy and society i'm a full-time freelancer by uh not by choice so (laughs) (laughs) well you're working right now this is work right we're all working yeah yeah this is work this is work this counts all right well um, i'm glad you brought up crazy fat ethel too because hitler's daughter kind of falls into (laughs) two of my favorite uh subgenres of b-movie the um the B movie that's well, I guess it's one subgenre, but yeah, the the B movie that's well known because of its kooky title, uh, uh, yet is not nearly as good as you think it might be. Along with um, Nude for Satan and, of course, Crazy Fat Ethel. <laughs> if we were going to be talking about no budget movies like we cover on No Budget Nightmares, I could probably give you a list that goes on for days in terms of <laughs> titles. You know, and and it, the, the sad thing is it works on me about 80% of the time. You know, it's only immediately after getting suckered in and watching one of the movies, I'm like, I'm not going to watch Barely Legal Lesbian Vampires, a real movie, by the way, uh, uh, right after this. But, you know, two weeks later, I'm like, this this does sound like something... I think there's a movie on Tubi called Corpse Sniper, and I was looking at it a couple days ago, and I'm like, oh, that sounds like it would be terrific. Come on. Is it really going to be? I don't know. Maybe. I probably will watch it, actually. Yes. (laughs) Oh, and I should probably clarify that, um, because I honestly didn't know. Well, first, um, let me say that I honestly didn't think that this movie existed for a long time. I thought that it was like some hazy childhood memory. Um, (laughs) Because I, I really did, because this uh, aired on USA Network in 1990, and I really did see it when I was, when it first aired when I was nine years old. Because um, <laughs> I, 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 I was pretty, as the youngest child, I was pretty much allowed to watch whatever I wanted. So I benefited from that, and I just, like, watched this movie on Hitler's Daughter. And God knows what I thought at the time. I probably was convinced that Hitler actually had a daughter. Uh, Is this not based on a true story? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't done a lot of research, admittedly. Uh, I I, I don't think so. Um, Although, uh, when uh, a little-known historical fact is that when um, Joseph Stalin's daughter, Svetlana, defected to the United States and moved to New Jersey, uh, people kept having problems with her trying to build her own little gulags and, and, and forcing people into them. And, you know, people in New Jersey would just be like, uh, yeah, just ignore her. She's, you know, Stalin's daughter. It's in her <laughs> DNA. She'll try to get you in her gulag. Just shoo her along and she'll do <laughs> Um, I like that we live in such a, a wonderful time in the year 2020 that now you can just argue with Mussolini's daughter, like on Twitter on a daily basis. If that if that's what you're into, uh, I mean, it's it's it we're we're so lucky. I guess that's the word to use. 
Yeah, yeah. Hitler's daughter wouldn't be running for the White House. She'd be on on Twitter um, <laughs> defending horrible, horrible candidates. Um, but yeah, yeah, this movie shouldn't be confused. And I honestly didn't know that this existed, but it shouldn't be confused with a critically acclaimed children's novel also called Hitler's Daughter, which I, I haven't read, but apparently it has like a really interesting premise about a group of children who are telling each other stories and they just kind of imagine what it would be like to have a parent who's um, obviously evil, which I think is a great premise. And apparently there's also like a critically acclaimed play based on the novel. But, but anyway, if you do a search for Hitler's daughter, this movie doesn't come up. The book comes up. So you'll see things like, um, Harper Collins study guide for Hitler's daughter. And you're like, what they made a study guide for this piece of shit. Uh oh, it's not that <laughs> Hitler's daughter. Um, because I even went on YouTube because I was guessing that the movie is up on YouTube and it got by the copyright gremlins if anybody claims a copyright on this movie anymore. Um, and I was right, but like the first three pages of hits on YouTube are all related to the book or the play. <laughs> Now, now but, this movie is also based on a book. Yeah. So just to make it even more confusing, though it's a book I had never heard of previously, but, you know, it's in terms of a concept for a book and movie, I can see the appeal there, right? You know, Hitler's had a, a daughter that no one knew about, and now there's a, uh, a secret group of Nazis in the U.S. who are going to uh, help using all of their their various uh, modes and methods are going to help her get political power. I can see how that could make a really fun, schlocky novel and potentially a movie. Mm-hmm. Although the, the title of the novel, and I had to verify this, because sometimes it is just called Hitler's Daughter, mm. but it seems that the official title is Hitler's Daughter dot 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 <laughs> wants to be in the White House. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. The novel is by Timothy B. Benford, and I had I had a fun time researching him because he doesn't have a Wikipedia page, and it was kind of a sobering reminder of how much we in the 21st century are dependent on Wikipedia now. <laughs> um, but yeah, apparently uh, this is only one of his two novels. His other novel is also World War II related and is called The Ardeen Tape. I might be mispronouncing that, but yeah, mm. the Arden tape, uh, dot, 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 pray that somebody listens. <laughs> um, and he's, and apparently the only other things he's written was like a novel about some kind of, uh, a true crime novel, uh, not true crime novel, true crime, uh, history, mm-hmm. um, and trivia books about World War II, the space program and the British Royal family. I'm looking oh. at one right now. Pearl Harbor, <laughs> amazing facts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I take that back. He also wrote a novel about um, Princess Di uh, being assassinated, uh, that there was really a conspiracy to kill her. I mean, it's fiction, but, you know, it's still, I think it came out like one or two years after her death. So right. very tasteful. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just. Um, so yeah, this this how I, I tried so hard to find more information about why this how this movie got made, like this weird, obscure uh, World War II obsessed 
writer just got a movie, even just a t- made-for-TV movie on the USA Network. I I just couldn't find it. But um, let me let me run through some of the trivia here. There isn't anything that really stands out except the fact that um, the two people who adapt who wrote the screenplay, uh, Sherman Gray. This was his only screenplay. <laughs> And the other guy, um, Christopher Kanan, he was the creator of Walker, Texas Ranger. <laughs> uh, I mean, you can really see it when you watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we, get, we, we have to get into that at some point. But, uh, but yeah, uh, it stars, this, uh, just a rundown of, on the stars, um, Patrick Cassidy had a pretty solid career, but kind of middling. Um, but he was in the Dirty Dancing TV series, which I didn't know existed. <laughs> <laughs> um, Melody Anderson, um, she was, um, she retired from acting in mid-90s, and she was in the Logan's Run TV series, which I also didn't know existed. Or I might have, I'm, I'm not really sure. Um, and Kate Lentz, uh, another one of Hitler's daughters, um, she voiced, um, she, uh, well, first I should say, she had a prolific career since 1967, still acting, and she voiced American Maid in the Tick TV series. Not the Amazon <laughs> one, but the animated series from the 90s, so um, good for her. <laughs> um, and, of course, um, there's Veronica Cartwright, which is one of the reasons I remember this movie, because um, Veronica is... One of my favorite actresses, in no small part, because she's in two of my favorite movies of all time, Alien and The Witches of Eastwick, which isn't <laughs> as remembered as Alien, but it's it's a fantastic movie anyway. So I really hope she fired her agent after this. <laughs> I mean, it was a bit of a lull in her career, let's say. So I, I'm sure she was happy to... Uh... To, to get the role. I mean, it's, it's fair to say that most of the, most of the characters in this movie have kind of thankless roles because it's meant to be somewhat confusing. I wonder if this is the case in the book, by the way, about which yeah. one of the, uh, the lead women in this movie are supposed to be Hitler's daughter. So you're spending the movie thinking, Hey, which one do you think? is Hitler's kid that is going to rise into power. And it, it, it's supposed to keep you guessing. I don't know if it's actually very effective at doing that. Yeah, and of course, the movie kind of gives it away because I think like within the first 10 minutes, 15 minutes, there's like an ominous close-up of one of the three women. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you're, so if you're paying close enough attention, you, you kind of know, um, know about it. But, um, but yeah, do you mind if I uh, kind of... Uh, uh, turn the tables on you, do do to you what you usually do to Mo, and say ask you to tell us about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Mo Mo is uh, so forthright with the detail. Before I do that, I have a bit of trivia myself. I need to bring oh, this sure. up right yeah, to the yeah, top, which is that the director of Hitler's Daughter, James Contner, uh, he he's had like a an incredibly long career in directing television. Not that interesting, but before that, he was a cinematographer. And he was a cinematographer specifically on uh, two notable movies, Jaws 3D. <gasps> and he was the director of photography on The Last Dragon, the uh, <laughs> the incredible martial arts movie, The Last Dragon. Um, and it, what's interesting about both of those things is, you know, Jaws 3D, you would think 
it would necessitate some a pretty specific visual style. It would ha- take someone who has a lot of chops when it comes to cinematography to make that work. And The Last Dragon has a really interesting, very 80s aesthetic, a very specific kind of visual style. So when I read that before watching this, I'm like, I got to keep an eye on this Hitler's daughter and see how it looks, <laughs> because this is a guy with an eye, right? This is a guy who knows how to compose a shot. And this might be the most bland, <laughs> uninteresting looking movie that I have seen in recent memory. And you got to understand the kind of movies I watch on my in my regular life, let's say. Uh, I mean, a lot of that, I'm sure, is just the limitations of television. But the other mm. reason for that, and one of the reasons I was excited to watch Hitler's Daughter, uh, particularly, uh, this is not something I realized until I started watching it, because I started recognizing some actors on display right from the top. Um, this movie was filmed in Canada. It was filmed in Toronto, Ontario, which was it's something, again, there are certain, if you watch a lot of Canadian movies, or if you are Canadian, like I am, that mm-hmm. you end up seeing a lot of the same actors again and again and again, and almost every supporting performance in this movie uh, is by a Canadian actor, and several of them are, th- are Canadian actors who I would say have quote-unquote Canadian fame, which means they've been on CBC television series over the past 20 years. <laughs> So what do you want to know about Hitler's daughter? You want me just to explain the plot? <laughs> yeah, we could we could just run through it and I'll um, jump in to throw in stuff I noticed because um, there's like one thing near the beginning of the movie and I'm really, really curious if you picked up on it too. Almost certainly so. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> when you say at the beginning, so this movie starts in uh, in near the end of World War II. I'm setting the stage now uh, oh, I, where... I, I forgot to ask, did you watch the movie before uh, before you needed to watch it for this podcast? or? Oh, had I ever seen it before? Yeah. Uh, no, I had not seen it. Again, I was aware of it. It was a movie that was in my collection ready to be watched, but I needed that extra shove from you, Chad, and I can't say I'll ever forgive you for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't blame you because, oh yeah, I, I totally trailed off from uh, the point I was trying to make earlier, which is that... Uh, yeah, that I honestly thought that I had imagined this movie until I rediscovered it. I think when I was in college or something, and I just like looked it up and I was like, ah, this movie can't be real. And then it was like, oh God, it was. <laughs> it's, I mean, I, I don't know if we're going to get into, say, modern politics <laughs> when we talk about this movie. Oh, but no, it's I hard- want, yeah, we should. <laughs> It's hard not to watch it without an eye to how the world is right now. And, and you know, the very fact that the United States has a president who gained a lot of fame from being on television, that there has been a rise of Nazism in the last couple of years, that it's a lot more of a visible thing uh, in the media. Uh, and, and also the fact that this particular movie... <sighs> You wonder if some of the women that are in this are supposed to represent people who were sort of in the political eye at the time it was made. Mm-hmm. Now, in 1990, again, you know, uh, George Bush Sr. had just left the uh, the White House. Oh, actually, no, he was still in the White House up until 1992. But, I mean, this was still a very political time because I think he came in in 89. So, I mean, certainly politics and who the president was would have been on the minds of a lot of people in 1990. I guess that's the kind of thing that's always on people's minds. But let's talk about the movie Hitler's Daughter from the year 1990, the television movie about (laughs) Hitler's Daughter. Uh, Yeah, it starts in, uh, in, I think, 1945 in Germany. uh, And we see Hitler's Daughter being born. And immediately after that occurs, we see 
the doctor, the nurse, and uh, the uh, child bearer be shot by a group of uh, Nazis. Apparently, these Nazis, not the nicest guys in the world. <laughs> no, apparently not. No. And, and this was one of my favorite. This kind of, because I was, I was questioning my choice to do this maybe for the podcast, because I remembered I was really bored the first time. <laughs> I was bored. And I was bored this time, but I saw more of the, the 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 gold nuggets floating around in the lake of puke let's let's say poetically <laughs> um and, and one of those first things was like when the doctor is shot in the back and he slumps over to mother's slumps over to mother what should be a horrific scene is ruined by the fact that the actress playing the mother just looks vaguely annoyed <laughs> <laughs> when he slumps over, and then it's like, oh wait, I'm supposed to be scared. Uh... <laughs> it's strange because immediately before that, like when she's giving birth, she's screaming like crazy. <laughs> she's like letting it loose. <laughs> but the baby does get born, and the Nazis do kill everyone involved because you see, it's part of a conspiracy because they know. Look, the jig is up when it comes to uh, the World War Two. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, we got to be thinking ahead on this whole Hitler thing. And the idea, I guess, is that the woman is one of Hitler's mistresses. Um, uh, I guess he didn't care too much about her. And the, I mean, and we already mentioned what the kind of concept of the movie is: is that this child will be brought to the United States, where it will then be raised in secrecy and with the sole idea of eventually gaining power. It's it's sort of a comical idea because, of course. Even though uh, theoretically this child will be raised surrounded by Nazis and with that ideology, um, the 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 whole political process, you know, I guess it's because we live in a world now where everything gets vetted so completely. And I say that, of course, but of course, you find out terrible things about politicians all the time. But the, the fact that, you know, no one would have noticed as the oh, I'm, I'm not going to spoil who the person is as the political figure who who ends up being Hitler's daughter had spent their entire life surrounded by you know vaguely german sounding people you think that would have been figured out at some point so we that's the intro of the movie then it jumps ahead to 1990 and our main character is Ted Scott played by Patrick Cassidy who uh is a political advisor or speechwriter for a political candidate. Am I wrong, Chad, that they never tell us which of the candidates are Republican and which are Democrat? You're right, but I, I think that's kind of standard when <laughs> you see that, yeah. And and like they don't really get into the details of the policy. I mean, because they're debating the uh, German unification and how the United States should respond to that. So there might have been like some nuances I was missing that were um contemporary to time oh and oh by the way um listeners at home all all 12 of you you might be picking up on the fact that this movie is taking place at the time when east and west germany are unifying which was you know in 1989 uh a year before this movie came out and you know the presidential election was in 1988 and the next one was going to happen until 1992 uh, this is the least of, a, of this movie's flaws. <laughs> uh, Although, given how Americans have, we—I I don't remember—I don't know if that was true then, but you know, given the the fact that we're constantly campaigning and that the campaign season is never really over, I mean, that's I true. guess maybe that's it. maybe you can just fight that way. Though, <laughs> I don't—I mean, you don't see a lot of debates where it's like the president and the vice president 
versus the uh, potential president and their running mate, uh, at, you know, where they're all on stage at the same time, kind of sniping at each other. Maybe things have just evolved a little since then or devolved. But it is look, the fact that it's never defined which one of these parties is which is is like you said. It, it's very common when it comes to um, a film where, well, I mean, specifically something like this. You don't want to imply that the Republicans have Hitler's daughter, you know, running right. for president. <laughs> Um, Vice versa, and, yeah. No matter how believable that might be, but I mean, you don't want to imply <laughs> it. But or but or the, the Democrats. I mean, you can just imagine the USA Network was probably very specific about that. But I do wonder if the book was as specific. Um, but so we have these. Uh, we have this scriptwriter or or uh, advisor Ted Scott, and he gets contacted by an old professor of his um, who has. <laughs> He was a history professor, I guess, who then went on be- to become a Nazi hunter because he is a concentration camp survivor. So yeah. oh. he is. Yeah. Did Do you have something catch- to add to that? Yeah. Did you catch the line of dialogue when when Scott is talking about his professor to his coworkers? I mean, you'll have it, to be more specific. <laughs> it's another, yeah, it's another gold nugget. And I swear, looking at my notes right now, I have like 20 asterisks next to it because I literally cackled when I heard it and I had to like replay the moment again. It's easy to miss because it's like in the middle of like this longer spewing of exposition. But he basically says, he never got over being interred at Auschwitz. Yes, I do remember that. <laughs> you remember our history professor from Princeton, Aaron Bauman? Oh, yeah. Yeah, quite a character. Bauman? Yeah, yeah. He never got over being interned in Auschwitz. He got over being interned in Auschwitz. He got over being interned in Auschwitz. He never got over being interned in Auschwitz. Like that is gold. That is like that's right. Writing so bad, it's pure. <laughs> he never got over it. <laughs> Come on, professor. <laughs> what do you mean you keep having PTSD about the most horrific tragedy in human history? Well, what's wrong with you? I like how it's like it's also, and now he's become a Nazi hunter. Blah, blah. It's like Jesus he went to Princeton, right? I think they said that he goes. He he was a. Uh, professor at Princeton who has also become a Nazi hunter sounds like a pretty like valid career choice all things considered yeah and if you think that like this guy would be a natural protagonist for the movie for Ted Scott to team up with well (laughs) the most interesting (laughs) character in the movie besides Hitler's daughter herself is killed (laughs) But I'll, I'll let you talk about that. <laughs> well, I mean, it from there, very quickly, it becomes sort of a Hitchcockian, uh, innocent man accused of horrific crime thing. Though, of course, that makes absolutely no sense as well. So what they do, the Nazis. So he goes to meet this professor who has some evidence uh, about uh, this, this kind of Hitler's daughter being alive. And he's trying to deliver this to Ted because Ted has you know, connections within politics and might be able to do something about it. And they meet in a parking garage where, of course, they are uh, eventually accosted and shot at. And uh, the the history professor, the Nazi hunter, he's killed. Uh, a bunch of security guards are killed and it's mm-hmm. set up so it looks like Ted killed them all. And we're supposed to think, by the way, like, 
in terms of a political cycle, as you were referring to before, there's, <laughs> can you imagine just watching it, watching the news at home? And first, like a very close political speechwriter goes on a rampage, seemingly out of nowhere, just killing a bunch of security guards. And then, like, uh, it, it, <laughs> there's a lot of other things that happen in this movie, including staged suicides and the <laughs> the first lady killing herself and all this sort of stuff. And this is all, like, supposed to be in a news cycle of, like, a week, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, and also, like, it turns out that it was, like, a double setup because um, uh, the professor didn't even really contact Ted. The letter was fake, and it was, like, a way to draw out the professor and it's just kind of an amazing scene because like they already had like you know ted wasn't taking this guy seriously um the you know the professor comes across as just sort of this ranting paranoid lunatic Mm -hmm. and like he's he has the dossier right there and the security guard is like oh well you know somebody stole a bunch of papers we we need to talk to this guy and they could have just like ended it right there but instead like the security guard who's working for Project Phoenix, which is the name of the conspiracy, um, just goes nuts, murders two security guards, and just, like, goes on this rampage for no reason. Now, now, Chad, I need you to explain something to me here. Yeah. <laughs> this is a very no-budget nightmares moment, by the way. I'm going to need you to explain something. So the idea that Project Phoenix has is they're going to take Ted, they're going to put him in a car— Mm-hmm. along with the evidence and the gun that was used in the crime, and then they're going to blow them up, <laughs> right? They're going to blow up the car with the evidence. So they have given him the evidence, the really <laughs> important evidence, and put it in the car next to him, and their hope is that he will stay unconscious long enough until the car explodes, and they, did, they don't stick around to see that actually happen. They, nope. just, they just set it up. But instead, Ted wakes up, gets out of the car, as one might do, uh, with the evidence, thankfully, and the car blows up behind him. Like, is what was their plan? Why didn't they kill him? Why didn't they kill him before blowing up the car? Uh, you know, sh- why didn't they burn the evidence or take it or, and then destroy it themselves? It seems like just look. I don't want to criticize the Nazis' plans. Obviously, <laughs> I've been told they make the trains run on time, so they must, you know, have some. <laughs> I don't, actually, maybe I shouldn't be praising any Nazi. Uh, <laughs> Nazi abilities either. No, but like this was a really terrible plan. And right from the the start, I'm like, what what was their end goal here? They're the whole the only thing that can stop this like imminent election from uh, happening in their well, it might not be happening in their favor, but the possibility of their favor is this evidence that could throw things off track. Why didn't they just burn it immediately? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, but I, I got stuck on the question of why get Ted involved in the first place. Yeah, not just like quietly arrest the professor when. Um, but, <laughs> but I mean, of course, the answer is obvious because then the movie wouldn't happen. But... <laughs> and Ted is kind of a squeaky clean guy, especially for a guy who works in politics. So he is our hero. He's not very particularly likable, though. I do have to say, my favorite part of the entire movie is when he has to steal someone's car immediately after this happens and this guy pulls up he's a pizza guy and you know ted who obviously is not used to holding someone up with a machine gun has to go through this rig and roll where the guy's like like i'll give you all my money i'll you just t- take whatever you want and it's like he suddenly realizes he's holding a machine gun and has just an incredible amount of power in this situation so you know <laughs> But I, I, mean, I like that he gives the guy some money and there's a, a kind of a light comedic 
moment uh, there because this is a movie that does not have much humor. Uh, or the thing I was really hoping this movie might have is a little bit of kind of camp value. Like you mentioned, there are golden nuggets throughout it, but there's never any – not winking, not that I would necessarily want that, but no one's playing it big. You know, this yeah, is yeah. this is very much like conspiracy man on the run thing. And we're supposed to think Ted. Ted's a decent guy. Ted has a girlfriend that he really loves and she's going to help him out. And he has an FBI buddy that is also going to help them. A really incompetent FBI buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but to go back to the pizza guy, the detail that I that I got fixated on, and I really hope it's in the book, too, is like it's that it's some kind of bizarre Scottish pizza company that uses like. <laughs> Chooses like the Tartana's logo, and it's called like McDermott's Pizza or something. <laughs> it's, it's, it sounds believable. I mean, who who doesn't love their Scottish pizza? You know, <laughs> Scotland being the, the nation that people most directly connect with pizza and its quality. Haggis and fried Mars bars. <laughs> <laughs> So Ted is on the run. Uh, obviously, the Nazis have set it up, so it looks like he's done this horrible crime. So the cops are are looking for him. He does connect with his girlfriend, who has been visited by uh, police officers, who are obviously not police officers. And that's another interesting thing about this movie, is that we don't really know how far the conspiracy goes, right? That there right. could be these Project Phoenix people all over, uh, because uh, in this fantasy world, of Hitler's daughter, there are Nazis all over the place. <laughs> it just happens to be the exact reality that we live in now in 2020. Yeah, exactly. um, so, so he's on the run. He connects with her. She believes him because why the hell wouldn't she? It sounds his reality, like his explanation probably sounds a lot less crazy than, Oh, I decided just to start killing people, including my beloved history professor for no reason. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. And they, so they go to an FBI agent who's helping them out. Oh, but before that, she's interrogated by the FBI agents who are working for the conspiracy and the FBI, FBI agents reflecting the general competency of this <laughs> conspiracy. They like, did, did he uh, talk to you about Project Phoenix? Oh, Project Phoenix, what's that? Like, uh, I, I, I don't know. I didn't say Project Phoenix. Did you say Project Phoenix? No. I, it would have been funnier if they were like, did he mention any projects that he might be talking about? Did he read any any papers that might mention, you know, maybe Hitler or daughter or something along those lines? <laughs> or any references to Greek mythological creatures or anything like that. So Ted does connect with his girlfriend. They do have the FBI buddy who is basically helping them out, but to a point. So he eventually goes to his boss at the FBI and tells him basically what's going on, but not telling him that he knows where Ted is and how to get in contact with him. And the boss is, uh, is taking his, well, the boss I think is supposed to be not seen as a bad guy, but one of the other FBI agents, Zimmerman, he is a bad guy. And mm -hmm. uh, he works for Project Phoenix. Now, have to ask you, Chad. It, it was bothering me the entire movie. This guy's name is Zimmerman. He's supposed to be pretending to be Jewish. Is that what's going on here? I um, I think so. I, I don't know. I know he's pretending to be like an expert on neo Nazis. Of course. Well, I mean, maybe he um, is an expert because you know he is a neo Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, giving him that name, it 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 certainly implies some uncomfortable things. Yeah. So Zimmerman is like, this is 
this is horse shit. None of this evidence is good. And I like how the FBI agent is like, what about this? What about this? And he's like, bah. <laughs> and the guy who, who's the head of the FBI is like, just listen to Zimmerman. He's the expert on the subject. And basically he says to the, the good guy FBI agent, he's like, trace his call, track him down, stop this nonsense, and you're off the case. Actually, he doesn't say any of that. He says, you're off the case because you're too close to it because they know that he's friends with Ted. But he also is, goes with the idea that he's going to try to track down uh, Ted himself, maybe to, I don't know, help him more directly. But, you know, it's nice that they have someone on their side. At one point, by the way, in, in, in a kind of a strange moment, simply because we already saw someone almost blown up by a car, uh, this FBI agent goes out to his own car, then realizes that for forgot something. And what is it? A newspaper boy <laughs> yeah. goes by and kicks his door closed, which <laughs> for some sets, reason. Up, <laughs> sets off another car bomb, which uh, I guess is supposed to also kill the paper boy, but no one cares about that. But the car explodes because they're also trying to kill him that way. That I don't think I've ever seen a movie where two attempted assassinations by car bombs both failed. I would think at that point, the Nazis need to find another way of doing this. There are, there are easier ways and more assured ways to kill people. Well, yeah, I love that scene because, A, it looked like the, the I guess the implication was like the paperboy accidentally hit, kicked the door closed, but it <laughs> looked like he did it on purpose. <laughs> Which, of course, he did because he was acting. Um, but also, like, the paper boy looked like he was in his 20s. I know. <laughs> also, once again, Nazis decide, didn't, didn't need to park across the street just to make sure this whole thing goes off. Because, of course, once the FBI agent sees the car explode, he hops into his backup car and just drives off. All they needed was someone with a gun there. Right, they could have even tossed him into the burning car, and I mean, especially because it's not like they don't have an, a bunch of Nazis that are also police officers, or at least <laughs> pretending to be police officers, that they can get to just like cover the whole thing. It's a there's you got to believe a lot of unusual things in order to make this plot make even the least amount of sense. Well, but thank I thought for the Nazis that the that the opposition is as incompetent as they are. I'm going to, I'm going to cut out part of this podcast where you said, thank God for the Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. There's, there's multiple contexts in which I say that. <laughs> oh my God. Um, so this movie, like it's big, uh, as we mentioned already, we're not supposed to know who Hitler's daughter is. It can really be one of three characters. There is a television host, like a political presenter on television, who works for <laughs> what we would say now is like a Fox News-ish type programming. Though, I guess not, because she, she gets uh, – people get angry at her anytime she takes any sort of editorial position. So she's just a television presenter who was also sleeping with one of the presidential candidates. Um, we have Veronica Cartwright, who is the first lady of the current president. And we have uh, Kay Lenz, who is the vice presidential candidate of uh, the incumbent. I think, is that correct? Am I getting all those details right? Yeah, you are. And that, that's another thing, too, is like the movie tries to do exposition clunkily, but somehow it doesn't even do that right. So I actually did have to rewatch a couple of scenes to verify all of what Doug just explained. <laughs> so we spend a lot of time with this political presenter because she is obviously uh, very manipulative. There's a sequence where she is uh, sleeping with the... Um, the the current uh, president, 
He's the current president. Am I right on that one as well? <laughs> uh, I, all I know for sure is that he's played by George Robertson from the Police Academy movies. But uh, No, I think he's sleeping with the guy who they think will win the election. Okay. Either way. That's right, because he hasn't been president yet. And she's very uh, concerned because after uh, orgasming... <laughs> oh, and uh, Veronica Cartwright is married to her, so she's the... Would be first lady. Would be first lady, right? Because they're all they are, are all very power hungry as presented in this movie. So the idea is Veronica Cartwright is married to the guy from Police Academy, <laughs> and he is also sleeping with his television presenter. And after orgasming, he starts to talk about you know maybe I don't really want to be in the White House. Maybe it's I'm I don't want to be in politics. My wife has really pushed me. Uh huh. See, his wife has pushed him into politics. And when he starts talking like this. She, the television presenter woman, uh, she basically says, look, if you, I'm going to uh, – I don't know if she means she's going to spill the beans, but at the very least, I'm going to stop sleeping with you unless you get your shit together and want to get into the White House because that's why I'm here. Everyone is supposed to be uh, – or I should say all the women in this movie, uh, all of these three women are supposed to be seen as very manipulative because that is supposed to be tricking us or suggesting to us that they're doing all of this to get more power – because they are the daughter of Hitler. Of course, when we do find out who the actual daughter of Hitler is, these other people really act just as terrible in a lot of yeah. ways, but happen to not be the daughter of Hitler. They're just regular terrible instead of having it in their genes, I guess. And, and their subplots, their complex subplots involving sex and blackmail and, and all that stuff is rendered pretty much pointless. So... Like, basically, one third of the movie just cancels itself out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it is interesting how how they kind of dovetail together. Uh, I mean, we're, we're kind of... It's hard not to zoom through the plot because there isn't a lot that happens because, like what you just said, a lot of it can be kind of just ignored. A at one point in your mind, you start thinking, you know, one of the characters in this movie who did get a slow, scary zoom in early in the movie has sort of disappeared from the plot for a while. I yes. wonder if she will ever reappear in a really important way later in the movie. Yeah, and you can also tell that Veronica Cartwright is the red herring because mm. um, and may maybe it was like a little bit clever because she was like the most well-known actress in this movie, so maybe right. they were you know, playing around with that. But you know, she gets a lot of screen time in the beginning, and I wish I could give a shout-out, but I honestly can't remember. Uh, some critics said this, but like... You can always tell when you have a bad mystery because the main red herring gets like the most page time or screen time yes. at the beginning of the story. And that's definitely true for Veronica Cartwright. It's why I've always appreciated the Columbo way of doing it, which is, look, we all know who the killer is. So because and that way, since we're going to know right from the beginning, might as well get the biggest star to be that killer in the movie. Yes. Or <laughs> <laughs> so yeah there's all this kind of mystery going on uh the fbi agent uh who is friendly with ted he eventually gets set up by project phoenix um to make it look like this is it's such a strange i i mean i can't even imagine turning on the news and hearing this story so the the the, the potential first lady has been what has she been doing so she's been part of some sort of financial scheme with because she goes to kill him i mean so she doesn't it's been set up so it looks like veronica cartwright's character has gone to the fbi agent's house to kill him uh mm -hmm. but instead he kills her 
and he also gets killed. Yeah, I I don't know if they even had a reason for her to try to kill him besides like vague allegations of corruption. Yeah, right. So it just makes even less sense. I just like the idea, like the the first lady going to a guy's house to murder him and then gets murdered herself. It's it's but it really it's just a way to get her off the table. Um, because it there we need to get to some sort of conclusion in this. So the FBI agent tracks down Ted. Okay. And so Ted and his girlfriend at this point, they're on the run. They're not safe anywhere. They're just kind of camping out in the woods. This guy still finds him. And Ted, who at this point thinks that the FBI agent is sort of turned on him or is working for the bad guys, he pummels him senseless instead of hearing anything he has to say. Yes. And then what happens? Um, then they, uh, well, they decided to team up anyway, so there was, like, really no point to the whole... <laughs> well, it, it sort of worked, but remember, Ted immediately sees a house nearby and just walks into it because oh, he hears right. his girlfriend scream, uh, and when he goes in there, he it's one of the Nazis, and the Nazi is basically like, give us that package of information, we have your girlfriend upstairs, and he has a phone where, um, where he can... Uh, have his friend i guess torture her so you can hear her scream so ted is like you're gonna kill both of us anyway he's like no one believes you you're a perfect scapegoat we're gonna let you live so ted fucking genius gives him the package of information uh and the guy immediately says to kill his girlfriend and we hear a bang and it's one of those fun movie bangs where everyone's like shocked for a second and we see that the Nazi is dead because the FBI agent, who Ted has just punched out, his friend, has shot him. But what I didn't realize is that his girlfriend was actually also killed, too. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm, I, I don't know how I skipped over it. How could I, how could I forget anything about this movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for some reason, I thought the scene happened later in the movie, um, even though it doesn't make sense. But well, I'm jumping anyway. around a little bit. It's just that the actual order of these things are not necessarily important. Oh, yeah, yeah. And honestly, I can't even remember all the details for the um, the, the the conspiracy between the three would-be Hitler's daughters. But the whole thing with the girlfriend, yeah, because I honestly thought, and I think you felt the same way, it's like, I thought it was going to be a twist, and it turned out that it would turn out that his girlfriend Jill was in on it, that, you know, Project Phoenix planted her because Hitler's real daughter wanted to undermine the presidential you, campaign that would have been, for all along. That would have been a lot more interesting than what they ended up doing. But, I mean, how strange, I mean, in any, this this conceit that we see here, we've seen it in a hundred movies, where mm. someone's got a gun pointed at someone, and you hear a bang, and then you see that the person who we thought shot the gun is now bleeding. It's it's someone else off screen who has shot them. It's like this classic movie thing. But the idea of it is that then the thing that we thought happened didn't happen. <laughs> but in this movie, no, she died too. And we never see the other Nazi yeah. who, who shot her like get his comeuppance or what happens with that. That t- takes place entirely off screen. It basically just takes his girlfriend off the table entirely. Well, yeah, that's what was so weird about it and why I thought it was setting up a twist, like like her being involved. It's like there's no reason for her not to be in the room, you know, uh, unless their budget was so low that they couldn't do the special effect of her getting killed, which Maybe. probably was the reason. I don't know. <laughs> Could have been. <laughs> so the only other thing that I think is important because we're we're kind of 
hurtling towards the ending. So the other thing that's important is that before this happens, Ted and his girlfriend, they go to see the uh, the person who provided the professor with all the evidence, uh, yeah. basically to get the original copies of the evidence because for some reason Zimmerman says, hey, these photocopies, they're garbage. They don't mean anything. Perhaps if you had the originals, it's like, what's the fucking difference? They're <laughs> photocopies of the originals. Uh, but he, he, I guess, for verification's sake. So they go to find this guy, this old fella who lives in an apartment, and he's got a secret room in his apartment. And they go in there, and it's full of all this proof. And they look at it for two seconds. They're like, this explains everything. This is the, hey, I mean, this is the MacGuffin, right? I mean, this is the important mm-hmm. thing that everyone's going to be looking for. And, and it's the thing that will prove everything as long as it gets into the right hands. So he's <laughs> the Nazi guy who, uh, so he was a Nazi, or I guess he was a um, ambulance driver who witnessed a lot of this firsthand. And that's how he knew about what was going on. So he says to them after meeting Ted for two seconds, he's like, I guess my job on this earth is to provide you with this. It's like he doesn't know this guy. <laughs> doesn't he know that there are secret Nazis all over the place? But I guess he was still right to do it. So he gives it to mm-hmm. Ted, but then the Nazis show up because they've been following him the entire time. And they start just shooting indiscriminately at everybody. And then they try to break into this guy's apartment. And the question I have is, if you have a secret room through your closet, why wouldn't you hide in there when the Nazis come? Yeah, I thought the exact same thing. He he doesn't even try. <laughs> well, I mean, to his uh, credit, he does grab, uh, what does he grab? It's like some sort of staff or umbrella thing. <laughs> and he does stab uh, the Nazi as he is getting shot to death. And when I say he, I mean the old uh, man who had the information. So he gets right. killed, and then he stabs the Nazi at the same time. So he gets one in at, at the last second, so good on him. Um, and in in terms of piecing together the order of this, then we get to the part where Ted's girlfriend is killed. Then he's together with his FBI friend. But then the FBI friend, um, he goes to his house eventually and, and gets killed because they've set up the, the um, Veronica Cartwright's character. And then so Ted's by himself. He has the evidence or actually he has a copy of the evidence. The original stuff he is sent in an envelope. And that's incredibly important <laughs> because he's figured out who Hitler's daughter is. Chad, who is Hitler's daughter? Well, he thinks it's Veronica Cartwright, but it turns out to be the vice president candidate of the candidate who's running against Veronica Cartwright's husband, if you understood all that. You see, I understand that, but now talking all this through, this makes even less sense. Who was the president before this election? They don't mention them. I I don't think... so these are both like none of the people running had been president. Yes. <laughs> okay. Because it doesn't make sense otherwise, right? Because otherwise, Hitler's daughter would have already been president, uh, vice president. Yeah. Uh, so you think that would have been close enough to you know? So the one other kind of little thing sticking out is that this reporter had been using another. Uh, uh, person, uh, another kind of political figure who worked on the campaign, I guess, or maybe I'm not exactly sure what his position was, but yeah, someone who worked on one of the uh, presidential candidates' campaigns as a beard. So they, no one figured out that she was actually sleeping with the presidential candidate. He got a little upset when he found out that his promised position as Secretary of State would actually go to Veronica Cartwright's character. So he decides to turn and reveal the affair 
to the other candidate, the one that's running against them. So in exchange for a position as a uh, uh, as a representative in France for that for that um, for that campaign after they win. <laughs> this all sounds like so complex, like it's just, oh, my God, what an incredible mystery. But it's it's <laughs> it's so hackneyed and ridiculous when you're watching it. And it's like it, the pieces don't fit. But what's important is that this guy will will <laughs> will come back at the last minute to give us a little bit of hope because what happens with Ted is that he does what anyone would do. Once he sees on the television that Veronica Cartwright is dead, that the uh, presidential, her husband, the presidential candidate is distraught and suspends his campaign. And basically, and I don't think this has ever happened. The other, the other presidential candidate wins by default. (laughs) They just don't. And and also um, Hitler's daughter gets rid of the uh, manages to manipulate the journalist slash mistress by basically bribing her with millions of dollars to say on air that the presidential candidate should withdraw after the death of his wife. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. Just to push him to do it even more. So uh, no third party candidate, no Ross Perot in here to possibly, you know, jump in. I guess they just suspend the whole thing. Don't even have to do the do the election. They just win by default. So Hitler's daughter uh, is now the vice president of the United States or is about to that is about to happen. But Ted, it is infinite wisdom. (laughs) He goes to where all this is happening after they're, I guess they're announcing their victory. And he drives his car like a maniac into a, into like the midst of it as she's coming out of a building. And he runs out holding a gun <laughs> with the intent of just trying to kill her. But instead he gets mowed down by a bunch of FBI agents, including Zimmerman, who we know is also a Nazi. Um, and that's the end of old Ted. It's like a shock. It's like a shock, a uh, sad ending that we get. It- and he's screaming about Project Phoenix as yeah, he does right. it to make himself even more credible. <laughs> <laughs> to uh, uh, to show the kind of lax um, uh, standards uh, for the USA Network in 1990, I do have to say, Ted gets blown away pretty well. He gets shot That's a true. bunch of times. That's true. Not quite to RoboCop levels, but... <laughs> well, what are we comparing close. here? <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I would watch a Paul Verhoeven-directed Hitler's daughter any day of the week. Um, and then there is, you know, so we're, we're all sad because uh, what we also discover is that after the election occurs, the president, he has a heart attack. Now, the vice president, Hitler's daughter, she's going to be president. A woman with her finger on the button? Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, so, and that is being seen through the eyes of this political aide who's now in France, who, you know, he manipulated his way into this position, but he's he seems, you know, per- perfectly happy with it. But then he receives in the mail this package of information. It's Ted's package. <laughs> and he starts going through it. And he like reads like each page for like half a second and then just moves to the next one. And then he's like, uh, he picks up the phone. And who does he ask for? He's like, get me the Secretary of State or something like that. Yeah. And that, the suggestion is, hey, you know what? Maybe Hitler's daughter is not going to have such an easy time. But I'll tell you what, from what we've seen so far, there's so many kind of secret Nazis all over the place. This guy's going to get blown away before he gets <laughs> – or at the very least, he's going to go home that day and see his car blow up in his parking lot before he even arrives. And he might have decide to shut his mouth. And that's how the movie ends. Uh, what what happens? Uh, Hitler's daughter, she might become president or maybe she gets found out. I guess we'll have to wait for Hitler's daughter, too, to be absolutely <laughs> certain. 
<laughs> well, that that was the thing is like that was so I was totally going to point this out, and luckily I did a bit more extra research this morning because I was like, oh my god, this ending rips off the ending of the made-for-HBO movie Fatherland, which is also based on a book because it kind of had the same thing. It's a plot involving Nazis, albeit Nazis in a... That one had Rutger Hauer, which I wish this one had. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Rutger Hauer could have been um, uh, Zimmerman. That would have been awesome. (laughs) Uh, But but yeah, it's Nazis in an alternate world where Germany managed to conquer most of Europe. And... um, That's a much better movie than this one, by the way. Yeah, it is. It is, and I don't know if you picked up on it, but that movie kind of ends in the same way. It's like the protagonists are defeated and the conspiracy to prevent the world from finding out what happened with the Holocaust has won. But then the president of the United States gets a package that reveals all the information about the Holocaust, (laughs) and that's used to bring the the Nazis in. So there's like a post-mortem victory for the protagonist. But I found out... Thankfully, I found out before I blabbed, uh, blabbed my dumb mouth on the, on this podcast, Fatherland actually came out after this movie. So if anything, Fatherland was ripping off Hitler's daughter. <laughs> and even – now, I've read the Fatherland novel, uh, and even that came out after, after this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'd like to think that Robert Harris, when he was writing Fatherland in 1992, that he was just sitting down. Maybe, you know, it took him a couple of years to make it. One day he turns on the television, watches Hitler's daughter, and says, you know what? That's genius. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, at least something good came out of Hitler's daughter. Um, but honestly, I, I don't know. This movie is such a bizarre anomaly uh, which is probably why I thought I hallucinated it from different <laughs> media. Um, because, you know, we talk a lot about movies and TV shows that are ahead of its time. Like, you know, um, one of my favorite TV shows that never made it, uh, Profit, uh, mm-hmm. was a TV show that came out in the 90s. It had a an amoral protagonist um, who was nonetheless sympathetic in a lot of ways that preceded um, something like Breaking Bad or The Sopranos, Um, but it came out in the wrong cultural moment, so it didn't take off. Um, You can compare the animated TV series The Critic to Family Guy with the uh, referential pop culture-driven humor. Again, kind of came before its time. But this movie is like 30 years after its time. It's (laughs) It's so pulpy. I mean, you could just imagine this as like, uh, a B movie from the fifties, um, mid sixties at the latest. You know, it takes place in a fictional nineteen ninety, and you know, it's like there's a woman who's running to become president. Even worse, she's Hitler's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I was also I also thought of it in the context of what if this was a movie from the nineteen seventies, right? Like a yeah, conspiracy yeah. thriller in like a marathon man type mold or even something like where it takes on some of the uh flavor and texture of like all the president's men where you have this like this massive conspiracy that people are getting closer to and if you had like a really competent director well i mean with this script you're still not going to get anywhere but like the concept behind it which is sort of like omen ish or at least uh that sequel to the omen where where tamia almost becomes president um like that's 
that's the sort of concept where you can kind of take that and run with it, but you really de- you need either like the most talented director or a really talented schlocky director, like a Larry Cohen type person to come in here and, and you know, make sure that you have a, a cast that's willing to play it up a lot and, and lean into the schlockier elements and, and really, and also make it frankly, a bit more exploitative. This is a, it's yeah. still, I mean, this is, you know, there's an element, uh, there's not really much Nazi exploitation here, but this is still a Nazi themed movie. But I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to go in that direction, you got to go, right? You got to, mm-hmm. you got to have Hitler's daughter with the uh, Bavarian pigtails and, and with, uh, <laughs> you know, you got one scene where she's relaxing at home and there's like swastikas everywhere. I'm not saying I like looking at that stuff, but if you're going to do it, you got to do it, right? Right, exactly, and I mean, the most, uh, I mean, she gets a couple of evil scenes, but I mean, she's basically, like, either committing blackmail or um, is, like, doing sinister innuendos with one of her uh, rival Hitler's daughters, um, and, and like, there's nothing, and, like, her underlings are the ones who are doing most of the evil stuff, and we don't really... Uh, find out who she is as a character because you know I kept thinking that you know I, I just imagine like this plot going being carried out for real and then like Hitler's daughter is 18 years old this Project Phoenix is ready to send her off to Harvard to study political science or pre-law or whatever and she's like you know Actually, I'm more into uh, mid-period Byzantine art, um, (laughs) especially in reference to Islamic and Syriac influences. I'm not really into politics, so, you know, I appreciate all you guys have done for me, but, you know, I'm not really into this whole becoming president and starting the Fourth Reich thing. (laughs) You know what? I think I'm going to follow Fish around on tour for a couple of years. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Right? I mean, I look... I'm sure if you got all that money behind her already, right? I mean, you know, look, I'm just going to go to Europe and I'm going to follow my feelings for a bit. And she'll start some trendy mommy blog. And well, maybe not in 1990, but you see where I'm going here. You're right. I mean, the idea that's that you've been picked from birth to do a specific thing. Once you hit the age of 16, you're inevitably going to rebel against that idea. Right. And and I mean, I think um, because you brought it up earlier and I think you actually made made it sound made the plot sound um smarter than it actually was because they because when scott's going over the information oh and by the way going back to this movie being really pulpy i mean ted scott is like the perfect pulp hero (laughs) name um jill is the perfect love interest name too but um anyway when he's going over to files he's like talking about how all three women were adopted and i guess the implication is supposed to be that the people who adopted them were secret neo-nazi infiltrators but it's not really spelled out so i so honestly you know i think the movie really is implying that that you know being a a nazi megalomaniac mastermind really is in the genes (laughs) i mean the the big thing of course is uh is these nazis are so silly right because all they had to do was wait for a few decades and the nazis would just naturally rise to the top anyway yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, <laughs> hey, I might be showing my political perspective here, but I thought that's what oh, that's we were okay. allowed to talk about. <laughs> yeah, no, we definitely are. I mean, I've already, um, I, I've already talked about politics on this show, so um, 
so it's totally okay. But yeah, I mean that that was the other thing. It's like, and I know that you know 1990 didn't quite have the same issues we did, but they did have like a throwaway line about um, neo Nazis being Absolutely. on the rise. <laughs> But there really isn't any world building. There's like nothing about the United States going through an economic crisis like it is today. Or, you know, they can't can't even barely show exteriors because, of course, they're not in Washington, D.C. for a lot of this. It's it's all filmed in Toronto. So they have to be particularly careful about like they'll show exteriors of buildings or just like uh, wide shots of the places they're supposed to be like Paris or or Washington. But I mean, you know, this is a movie that's very it's very set based, right? There's like uh, a handful of sets. They just go from place to place to place. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's like, except for references to German unification, which really doesn't have anything to do with the plot, except for Nazis, obviously, but like, there's no implication that even if Hitler's daughter became president, that she would have this ability to turn the country into a brutal dictatorship overnight, you know, because like there's nothing about social crises, economic crises, you know, Mm. stuff like that. There's like no reason to think that this world is any different than the world of 1990. And there's no, there's no visible anti-Semitism in this movie, which is particularly strange. Like not even the Nazis, they don't ever mention it offhand. There's no, you know, because like the, one of the biggest concerns basically behind the whole concept of this movie is that, you know, because they, they one of them do say it's like they want to raise up a fourth Reich. Right. But it's so mm-hmm. part of that is like anti-immigration and anti-Semitism and all of that anti-homosexuality. And and but that is never mentioned verbally in the entire movie. And that's why I like the fact that they yeah. do have a character named Zimmerman is like, well, what are they what is he maybe is he Jewish and working with the Nazis? That would be even weirder. Right. Yeah, I, I hadn't really thought about it, but I'm glad you brought it up because, yeah, there really isn't anything about, besides the fact that the Nazi conspirators are brutal, although they're cartoonishly so in this movie, <laughs> um, to the point that they're undermining their own plans because um, they just, like, basically draw as much attention to themselves as possible. Um, but, yeah, besides that, I mean, it's just the Nazis are... Um, and, you know, <laughs> I, I say this as a person living in the 21st century, but the movie just basically says that Nazis are bad because Nazis are bad. There's nothing. Mm. There's no weight given to what happens. And, you know, you can just see that, like, you know, Hitler's daughter is just this woman who wants to become president. She just has some really enthusiastic supporters. Like, uh, I mean, it even goes back to what you said at the very beginning, right? They, the, 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 the lead character even sort of dismisses someone's holocaust experience where it's like he just never got over it it's like (laughs) like just spend a couple of seconds saying you know it was kind of bad it was a bad bad thing that happened and the nazis were responsible that's why we don't like nazis yeah because like the one yeah and the one jewish character in the movie the one nazi hunter character is killed off almost as soon as he's introduced so um yeah it's just it's just weird because And, and, and like the again, like the only bad thing is like you have all these Hitler's daughter bros who are you know not, who are not tolerating um, competition. And, and just to clarify, because I've made jokes before that have been misinterpreted, I'm actually a Bernie Sanders supporter. I'm just you know, so please don't give me angry emails 
for for using the bros joke. Uh, send me angry emails instead for being a Bernie Sanders supporter and announcing just, it. Just to make people extra angry, I'm also a Bernie. I'm also a Bernie Sanders supporter, and I'm Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yeah. He's not even a Democrat. You're not even an American. Um, okay, now I got too political there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Like when I was when I was writing my notes, I was just I, I was kind of making jokes about Hitler's daughter, bros, and like, oh man, if they hate us now, wait till they see when Bernie's the candidate and we and we start running around <laughs> massacring people in parking garages. Oh, and, God. <laughs> Someone's just going to re-edit this whole podcast, Chad, and you're going to look pretty rough. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, thank God I have, like, almost no listeners. <laughs> by, by the way, Doug, thank you for taking your time to uh, be on this show. <laughs> I'm here to get those numbers up. That's why you know, I'm going to oh, yeah, put true. it out in the world just so people can hear that time that you said what the great thing about Nazis are. <laughs> Fantastic thing about Nazis. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I could actually almost imagine this movie working in a modern context. Like, if you simultaneously play up the camp, um, play up the real world implications, and, you know, just just run with it as, as far as you can go. Like, um, but, but the thing you'd also have to do if you remade the movie is get rid of the stupid mystery plot. Um, and I kind of wanted to ask you about that because, like, the mystery doesn't work at all. No, it doesn't. Um, and it, it expects us to – like you said, this is supposed to take place in a recognizable world. But as the bodies start to pile up, it becomes less and less recognizable and less and less relatable. And then mm-hmm. as the characters make decisions, they become more and more – they have to be stupider decisions because the plot relies – on it and it, it, that doesn't work for me at all but just going back to what you were just saying th- this movie could work i think you're right but the structure of this movie what it most reminds me of is an even worse genre movie which is a rise of the antichrist movies uh, uh faith, yes. faith based movies where you see a antichrist character try to raise to the level of president and there's a mm-hmm. conspiracy where there's a lot of his followers i've seen a few of those in the past and this movie resembles it i mean if you just swapped out a few scenes where someone just starts quoting the Bible or something, uh, then you probably could make this a faith-based movie instead of a Hitler's daughter movie. That's true. Although to be fair, I would genuinely argue that project Phoenix is in this movie is more inept than the conspiracy in Kirk Cameron's left behind. (laughs) I'm not going to argue with you there. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I, um, unless you want to, uh, talk more about the politics, because I honestly, when I found out that the guy who created, to be honest, when I found out the guy who created it was, uh, um, uh, also created Texas Walker, um, Walker, Texas Ranger. <laughs> I'm losing it. Um, like that, it, when that guy, uh, when I found out that guy was involved, like I was on, to be honest, looking for like hidden right wing messages in this movie. But I, I, I don't know if anything, this movie was too apolitical. Um, although honestly, I couldn't help but notice with my, um, training in gender studies, um, the, between admitting that I'm a Bernie Sanders supporter and admitting that, hopefully I've driven off um, uh, any listeners with untoward well, politics. You, you, you've certainly gained the beta cuck uh, <laughs> new, new, 
new section of your audience are going to be coming in in droves. <laughs> yeah, I'm going right to my Twitter profile and adding <laughs> preferred pronouns on it. So like, of the three women who are suspected to be Hitler's daughter, the two that aren't are the women who use, like, traditional avenues to power, either by marrying or sleeping with a man. Um, but the evil Hitler's daughter is the woman who's using a direct avenue to power, who's actually not running for office per se, but is running for office as the on, on, a, on a ticket as vice president. So I guess you could make the case that she's been helped along by Project Phoenix along the way. But I mean, that's a really interesting uh, uh, observation. The other thing I read in a one of the reviews for this movie was a suggestion that this movie was brought out on VHS around the time of the 1992 election, or perhaps a few years uh, afterwards, uh, and that people, maybe specifically to make comparisons between some of the women and Hillary Clinton at the time, which is, it's an interesting observation simply because Veronica Cartwright, how she, how her hair is styled sometimes and how she dresses, mm. it does a look a little uh, Hillary Clinton-ish, though again, this is from 1990, uh, obviously was not a specific reference but it's it's hard not to think about and i'm not trying to say that that is an apt comparison or anything along those lines i'm just saying that if if you are of a political persuasion where you're looking for a negative uh uh, comparison you could probably find it there so it's probably it's actually kind of lucky that this movie came out but not that politics has ever been anything but divisive but that it's gotten so much nastier i mean you really couldn't make this movie uh, and put it on TV in 2020 without uh, having like a lot of power behind it, or it'll probably be made by like Dinesh D'Souza or something like that, because yeah. because you kind of have to take a side, right? And and, right. and I think in some ways, rightfully so. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh man, yeah. Now now that you mentioned it, I can't stop thinking about it because yeah, also like this woman married to a man who's cheating on her, but she doesn't care because she's just in it for the power. Yeah, because I, I I do remember though. When you brought that up, and um, do you remember the B movie website Stomp Tokyo? This is really yes. dating. I and it's so strange because, I, of course, I went on their review of this yesterday, and I used to be like a real. And I, I'm not knocking Stomp Tokyo now, but I mean, in the earlier days of the internet, there were like a handful of B movie sites I would go to all the time, and Stomp Tokyo was one of them. So when mm, I saw through the IMDb uh, external reviews that it had to link to it, I went right to it. And it, there, yeah, that's an interesting review because of the addendum at the very least. Yeah. Um, for those who, who probably aren't going to look this up um, or who aren't going to look this up, the, uh, they mentioned that they got an email from a reader that said that basically implied that the novel is warning about Hillary Clinton. So... <laughs> Uh, I, I, I really, yeah, I, I really don't know. I, I don't think that there is a story there because I honestly don't know how prominent Hillary was or if some of the same stereotypes and speculations about her were circulating. But yeah, it definitely makes the movie more interesting in hindsight than it deserves to be. I'll say that much. <laughs> um, anyway, do you, um, do you think, Doug, that this movie belongs on the trash cannon at all? The thing is, this movie is incredibly bland. And I mean, I said that already in terms of its visual style, but that's in some ways the limitation of budget and the fact that it was made for TV, all that sort of thing. But the other thing, and, and it and I hate the fact that we may have made this sound more interesting than it actually actually is, it's a very boring movie to watch. 
Like mm-hmm. there are those nuggets every once in a while, but there's there's no real surprises here. It's not schlocky enough to be fun. It's not campy enough to be fun. It I can't imagine in my life ever returning to this movie. There's just nothing in my being. And, and you know, I'm a person, if, if you do listen to No Budget Nightmares, I'm a very forgiving person in terms of a movie's flaws because I want to appreciate the intention behind it. And I recognize how hard it is to make a movie and that there are, that sometimes that vision doesn't make it all the way from soup to nuts and all of that sort of, you know, I try to be sympathetic, but here I don't think, I don't think anyone involved thought that they were making anything good, you know, and that's a hard, or even anything entertaining. It just feels like product to some extent. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it isn't taking any sides and that it, it refuses to, uh, to to go hard on any of the themes that it's going on, or to even bring up controversial subjects like a- anti-Semitism, it it may, it feels like it's doing its best to serve everyone, and in the process, it it serves nobody. Yeah, very well said. I I, I don't think I have anything else to add to that. So, um, Doug, why don't you tell the good people where to find you? I'm an easy man to find. <laughs> if you want to check out my podcast, No Budget Nightmares, which focuses on micro-budget shot-on-video cinema, uh, you can do that over at nobudgetpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at nobudgetpodcast. Uh, you can also follow, fo- find the latest episodes over on thatshelf.com. If you want to find me, I'm on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. And uh, in the very near future, I'm launching a new podcast from the creators of the beloved podcast eric roberts is the fucking man it is cinema smorgasbord uh it's a podcast that's going to focus on a number of different themes including podcasts devoted to the likes of jackie chan steve buscemi filipino actor vic diaz and others uh you can find out all the latest news on that on twitter at cinema smorg that's s-m-o-r-g Oh, excellent. And I am Chad Denton. Um, if you want to yell at me for the things I talked about in this podcast, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter um, at ReluctantlyChad. Um, you can also check out my YouTube channel where I post um, Let's Plays. Well, yes, I'm that much of a nerd. And videos about history and movies. And you can also check out my um, gay superhero serial drama, John and Namar at johnandnamar.com. Oh, and also I have a blog, Trash Culture, trashculture.com. All right. Uh, thank you so much for being here, Doug. Um, I, I, this podcast definitely depends on the kindness of strangers. And um, I will see you all next time. <laughs>